We're starting a new sermon series today on the Holy Spirit, and um, it'll be three or four weeks, probably four weeks, so this month. We'll be looking at different passages in the Bible that speak to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Today, we come to the book of Acts chapter 2, where Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to his followers, and uh, here it comes. Here comes the Holy Spirit. So if you have a Bible, if you'd like to, I encourage you to stand as you're able for the reading of Scripture. I'll be reading it here. If you have one of our church Bibles, I'll be reading on page 875, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And for those in the sanctuary, I'd invite you to stand for Scripture too, if you would. Thanks. All right. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk, that's all. May God bless the reading of God's word, and would you pray with me? God, I ask that the Holy Spirit take these words and use them in the lives, in the hearts, and in the hands of your people. Do with them what you will. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're standing, uh, you may be seated. I would like to start, we're going to get right to it because we have some communion to get to. I'd like to start with what Pentecost means. I've had a few people ask me this question actually, and so I want to give a little bit of context to when we are in this story. Pentecost literally means the 50th day. Day 50. And it's called that because in the Old Testament, God told his people to count 50 days after Passover. 
count 50 days after Passover, and then celebrate what is called in the Old Testament the Feast of Weeks. It was an agricultural festival. Farmers would bring their first sheaf of wheat from the crop and offer it to God in gratitude for God's provision. But also, it was uh, kind of a, um, a hope and a recognition that by the end of the season, there'll be a bountiful harvest. And so that was kind of the celebration from an agricultural standpoint. But it was not just agricultural. Like Passover, Pentecost awakened for the people in Luke's day and in Jesus' day stories of salvation and a new beginning for God's people. Um, And this is important because I think Luke assumes this in the story. What I'm speaking about is the Exodus. The Hebrews were enslaved by Pharaoh, and in their struggles, God heard their cries, and he calls Moses, a great prophet, to go to Pharaoh and demand, let my people go. And that started this combat, this war between Pharaoh and God. And uh, it was pretty much a one-sided war, (laughs) battle, if you will. You can read about that in the book of Exodus. But it culminated to this moment called the Passover, where God commanded the children of Israel to sacrifice lambs and take the blood of the lambs and, and spread them over their doorposts. Because God, in this battle and the struggle against Pharaoh, would send an avenging angel to take the firstborn of the oppressive Egyptians. And when there would be blood on the doorpost, the angel would pass over those homes and spare the people. And then uh, Pharaoh decided to let the people go, starting what we call the Exodus. Fast forward 50 days from that time. Israel has gone through the Red Sea. Israel finds herself in the wilderness. And 50 days after the Passover event, Moses comes down from the mountain with the law, with Torah. God had given the people Torah. And far from being seen, and far from being a list of rules and burdens by which someone was understood to earn their salvation, which is nonsense, they'd already been rescued. The law was God giving his redeemed people a way by which they were to live their lives, carry out God's purposes, and become a priest to the nations. So, Jesus at Passover, uh, and I think it's very appropriate that we're celebrating communion today. Jesus was crucified during Passover. And this is why when people say things like, covered with the blood of the lamb, they're merging these images of Jesus' death and the spilling of his blood with the Israelites taking the blood of the lamb and wiping it on their doorpost so that they would be free and there would be an exodus. And in Jesus, there's a new exodus because being covered in the blood of the lamb frees us from sin, frees us from death, frees us from evil and and all of the power structures of the world. If not uh, now, soon. This is not just a spiritual liberation. It is also a liberation that will one day carry out in the full new creation here on earth. Okay, so Jesus is the new exodus. 
The book of uh, Acts tell us, tells us that about 40 days after Passover, Jesus ascended into heaven. He went up into the clouds, ascending to heaven. Just like Moses went up the mountain to get the law. And now here at Pentecost, it says that the Spirit of God came down from heaven, just like Moses came down from the mountain. The parallels are um, pretty thick and amazing. And if I had two hours, who knows, maybe it'll be a podcast. There's so much to tease out here. But I wanted to give that context for this uh, story before we go too much further. The point of this story is, is not that people have private spirituality that is neat and inspiring, making things of the earth irrelevant. No, to the contrary. The point here is that the earth would be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the servants of Jesus. As we uh, move our way through the story, I love the way this scene is described. A sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm filling the house where they were sitting. Like flames, tongues of fire. This is uh, powerful images. We often talk about God's spirit as a, a still small voice. And that can be true. This is, of course, the story of Elijah up on the same mountain Moses was. And uh, the thunders and the storm and the wind comes and God's not in those things, but God is in a still small voice. I'm of the opinion that Elijah would have been insulted by that, but that's another sermon for another day. But it is true that God's spirit can be gentle, almost a whisper sometimes, transforming people's lives without a lot of, you know, hubbub, but yet like a soft lap of waves smoothing stones over time, God brings transformation. Gentle, still, small voice. But that's not what's happening here in this story. Lest we think that the Spirit of God only works in quiet ways, we have passages like Acts chapter 2 of a disruption and a disturbing and a storm. Wind whipping around, fire falling on people, untamable forces. God works in these ways as well. And we should not forget this. Then there are the tongues, these languages. And before I get to what it seems to me is the, the clear point of these languages here in this story, I want to say a couple of things. First, uh, it seems to me that what's happening here in the book of Acts is not identical to what Paul writes about elsewhere, what we often think of when we hear the phrase speaking in tongues. Um, uh, um, an unintelligible kind of language that comes out. And, and Paul, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, especially chapters 12, uh, well, chapters 12 through 14, talks about how to integrate these kinds of unintelligible languages that the Spirit of God um, brings out of people, how to, how to properly handle them in a, in a worship context. And what Paul writes is, Listen, when someone speaks in tongues, if people can't understand it, you need an interpreter. And if there's no interpreter, then it's for the benefit of the individual, but it doesn't really do others much good. What's happening here in this story, in the book of Acts, they don't need no interpreters. Everyone understood it. 
And so it seems like what's happening here is not unintelligible language, but languages of the world that they are naturally just kind of speaking, empowered by the Spirit. One other thing I want to say before we get to the tongues specifically in this passage is that it doesn't seem that this incident or this um, giving of the Spirit is about the salvation of the believers. Oftentimes that's the way that the conversation is talked about. The reception of the Spirit as um, salvation. And of course this is true. This is what Galatians is about. But what's happening in this story is about empowering the believers to carry out the mission that Jesus has given them to go to the world, be his witness, to be his ambassadors. And um, remember the, the Pentecost being, you bring your, your, your first fruits, your first sheath of wheat, and having in mind the, har- the great harvest that is to come, it's that, it's that. It's about empowering them for their mission. Okay, now to these languages. So it seems like they're the, the 12 are there. They've been kind of reconstituted. You see that in chapter 1. And they're speaking and they're talking. And, and people are listening and people are hearing. The question I have is, what language do you think people were expecting the disciples to speak? These backwater Galileans. They were probably expecting either Greek or Aramaic. Greek, I say, because that was the lingua franca of the Roman world. It was the common language spoken. But for most of people in the Roman world, it was not their native language. It was their second language, the language that you learn so that you can communicate from pe- with people from other cultures, do business with them, or as you travel along, you can slip into Greek, speak some Greek so you can find a place to stay or, or whatever reason you need to communicate with someone who doesn't speak your native language. But it wasn't your mother tongue, right? It wasn't, it wasn't the language you learned on your mom's knee. That, for the disciples, was Aramaic. And so maybe people were expecting Aramaic. This was the language Jesus spoke. Lama, lama, sabachthani. That is Aramaic. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's another Aramaic phrase we get from the Gospels that Jesus spoke. Talitha kum, little girl, rise up. So yeah, I think they were probably expecting that the disciples would speak Greek or Aramaic. But what happens instead? The people there from North Africa, they hear Coptic. And the people from Arabia, maybe they heard what is sometimes referred to as Old South Arabian or maybe Middle Sabian was spoken. When the disciples spoke, what was heard by the people was their mother tongue, all of them. Did you catch that? When the people heard the disciples speak, they heard the languages of the Parthenians and the Medes and the Elamites. They heard the languages that were spoken in Mesopotamia and Judea, so probably some Hebrew. They heard the languages of Cappadocia and Pontus and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. 
the areas of Libya, the languages spoken in Libya were spoken on that day. The languages of Rome, there's probably some Latin being spoken. The Cretans and the languages of the Arabs. All of these languages, all of these languages are being spoken. What is the Spirit doing? Which is exactly the question they asked. I think the Spirit's doing a lot of things here. One is preparing them for their mission to the whole world. Their mission to the whole world, to bear witness to the new exodus of Jesus. But there's something else going on here that I think is profoundly important. I think the Spirit is saying, when you go out and you proclaim the new exodus, and you are my witnesses, I want you to speak their language. They shouldn't have to learn yours. When you proclaim the new exodus, they shouldn't have to culturally assimilate to you. You culturally assimilate to them. Language is culture. I hear the Spirit saying, those cultures are beautiful, I made them. So go out and speak their native tongue. Speak the words they learned from their mama. And in this way, you will share the good news of Jesus. Uh, I had a professor in seminary, and he was, a, he was a missionary to China for about 100 years, I think. And he used to say, don't tell me you've been called to a people if you will not eat their food. When we want to share the news of Jesus and be his ambassadors for the kingdom, whether we are sent across the seas or whether we are sent across the street, whose language are we speaking? This can be literal. There is much to be said about learning a new language. But I also think it should shape our approach to people, our approach, our posture, the ways we engage people. Uh, many of you know my wife is a teacher, and this last week uh, she took part in the, uh, a number of cultural sensitivity trainings, and I was able to hear, overhear some of these because it was on a Zoom meeting. That's what we're doing nowadays. And so I could kind of hide off camera and listen. And one of the things that the presenter spoke about was how so many of our colored kids, children of color from other cultures, are required to check so much of who they are at the door in order to engage in the systems of our public education. And it made me think about our church. It made me think about the church. What are we inadvertently requiring people to check at the door about who they are in order to be a part of things here? And I thought about maybe what my blind spots might be, how I might be contributing to something I'm not wanting to contribute to. I don't want my brothers and sisters of other cultures or other colors to have to check themselves at the door in order to be a part of this family. I wrote in a, a recent blog post that I am committed to start taking ownership for my own ignorance around these kinds of issues. And when I hear the word ignorance, I hear the word ignore. It's easy to ignore when you're white these kinds of things. I need to learn a new language. And I'm committed to this task. And I want to extend this invitation to anyone listening, especially 
white congregants to join me in this effort. And I'll just kind of say this now. Um, this won't be the last time I talk about these things. Okay. Did you catch the final line from this passage, at least that I read? The one about them being drunk, right? Well, they're all drunk. That's what's going on. <laughs> I think on the surface, this is kind of funny, um, in a sense. At least I think so. But like all Scripture, no words are wasted here. And this line actually drips with literary irony. Let me explain. I like this translation of the Bible a lot, the New Living Translation. It's what I read from and often what I teach from. But I don't like this translation here. Because they do not say, they don't say they're drunk. What they say, I mean, they, that's what they mean. But it's not what they say. What they say is, they are filled with new wine. That's what they say. Literally, they are bloated with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. And that's why the NLT picks that up. But do you catch the irony in these words? Do you see it? Because they are bloated with new wine. Just not the, the wine of alcohol. The wine of the Holy Spirit. It makes me think of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said about new wine? When you got new wine, you better use new wine skins. Because if you don't, if you use an old wine skin, you put new wine in there, it's going to explode. Pop! If you want to hold new wine, the new wine of God's new creation, new wine of the Holy Spirit, you got to use new wineskins, new containers, because that thing's going to expand, and that wineskin needs to learn to change and expand and adapt. You know, as I've spoken with many of you, as I you know, catch you in town or uh, we talk on Zoom or on the phone, um, I hear you share about fear in these days we find ourselves in right now. I hear about confusion, anger, sadness, calls for haste and action, calls for listening. Uh, I can sense the anxiety, and I want you to know I feel these things too. It seems awfully clear to me that now as I, I look and I listen, same old, same old, that train's about to leave the station. And I'm not sure it's going to be back soon, if at all. Uh, whether we're talking about the impact of COVID and the same old ways we do church, I mean, I'm not thankful for COVID by any means, but, but this whole thing has absolutely pushed us into new ways and new things. Uh, stripped us down to ask, what is church? Why do we do this anyway? What is it about? Whether we're talking about that or whether we're talking about racism and the need for change, I'm of the mind that God's Spirit is and will be filling us with new wine. And so, what kind of wine skin do we want to be? 
The old one, unable to grow, unable to expand, unable to receive the Spirit or new wineskins, able to receive the Spirit and surrender to it, to grow and to adapt, able to take part in the great harvest, this good work of God. I already mentioned uh, at least one of the ways that God's Spirit has been challenging me. And here's one thing I've been uh, experiencing from the Spirit. The Spirit can be relentless, <laughs> truly a windstorm. And like a windstorm, God is leading me. God is learning me, teaching me. I believe teaching me a new language. What new language is God asking us to learn? Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts for communion. Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts for your movement. Holy Spirit, let church not be... uh, Let it be a place of comfort, but not comfortable. Lead us on to the great harvest, to to share the good news of Jesus, that many would come to know the power of his salvation. May we speak with our neighbors, our family, our friends, about the great things God has done. And may we do it in ways that people can hear and people can understand, empowered by your Spirit to speak their language. And we acknowledge your goodness and your greatness, O God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.